Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. When I say Pentecost or Pentecostal, I'm primarily speaking of that Jewish holiday when the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. But I'm also speaking of, of the Pentecostal movement. We call that a, a movement that happened about 100 years ago in this country. It was one of the most significant revivals that we've had in the United States. And what we saw in that, what we call, became the Pentecostal movement. But in that revival, what we saw was we saw a restoration to the church of a lot of the things that were happening in the early church. If you just read the book of Acts, you've read about how the disciples went around and they did healing and they cast out demons and they did those kinds of things just like Jesus did. Their ministry looked amazingly a lot like what Jesus did when he was on the earth. And they discovered during the Pentecostal movement a hundred years ago that God still wants to do those things in modern times. So I'd been preaching on what I called the spirit of Pentecost. Now, if you would say the spirit of Pentecost is the Holy Spirit, you would be correct. But I'm actually using the term more generically. I'm talking about the attitude of Pentecost, the mindset of Pentecost. And so if you'll remember week one, I said there were four things that those early Christians were absolutely convinced of. You couldn't talk them out of it. They knew it, they were sure of it, and they would stake their lives on it. And that was number one, that Jesus was their savior. Number two, Jesus was the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Number three, Jesus was their healer. And number four, Jesus was their soon coming king. And what, what you saw in the book of Acts and in the Pentecostal movement and in the church today is you see a continuation of Jesus's ministry. In other words, this isn't just our ideas of inventions and things we come up with. Jesus is actually continuing his ministry that he began on earth from headquarters at the right hand of God the Father. He's continuing his ministry. And I challenged us, three weeks ago, what if we were to really just settle those things in our hearts as a church? Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my savior. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is coming soon. How would that change how we live from day to day? And I said, let's settle that. And we had some holy times of praying and thinking those things through. The next week I preached on the spirit of Pentecost, radical believing. They were crazy in what they would believe. They would believe God in the face of absolutely no supporting evidence. All the evidence looked contrary, but they chose to believe God. Listen to this quote um, from John Lake. He said, beloved, it's not our long prayers, but our believing God that gets the answer. That just gives you a little snapshot into their mindset. You know, they prayed. They were people of, hey, they had prayer meetings that lasted all night long. So John Lake is not against praying here by any means. But he realized some people hide behind prayer meetings and don't ever step out into believing God. At some point, we've got to step out and believe God. Amen. Wigglesworth said, I can get more out of believing out of God by believing him for one minute than by shouting at him all night. I mean, come on, I've shouted at him all night. <laughs> when I've had situations, I've shouted at him all night. But you know what? Wigglesworth says if you'd actually believed him for a minute, he'd have done something. <laughs> something would have happened. You get connected rather than shout. You know, sometimes the more we pray and the more we shout is not because 
um, we're so full of faith is because I'm lacking the faith. So I want to continue to pray till I get built up in faith, right? Praise God, whatever you've got to do. But maybe, just think about it, maybe prayerfully we should just switch over into believing and trusting and let that be the foundation of our prayers and see how far God will take us. Amen? John 7, 38 and 39, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whoever believes in me. You know what he was talking about? It says in the next verse, this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. And those were those people in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. They believed in him and they received the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that that promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. I'm telling you, I'm one who is afar off because I'm generations later, I'm centuries later. I've never been part of the Jewish community. I'm, I'm afar off, but the promise is still for me. Amen? The promise is for you. And then week three, which was last week, I preached about um, how Pentecost produced women and men of action. Action. Remember, the book of Acts is the book of action. Amen? F.F. Bosworth said, and I didn't get, you know, I found this quote as I was preparing for this week. I didn't get to quote this one last week. F.F. Bosworth says, anyone can turn the word of God into the power of God if they act upon the word. Think about that. Anybody can take this word of God and turn it into the power of God if we will act on what the word says. Wow, isn't that powerful? Our actions have a lot to do with how we express and experience God, isn't, doesn't it? Wigglesworth says this, if it's in the Bible, it is so. It's not even to be prayed about. It's to be received and acted upon. Hmm. He says, inactivity is a robber which steals blessings. Increase comes by action, by using what we have and know. Your life must be one of going from faith to faith. You know, what does Jesus say? He says we need to be not just a hearer of the word, but a, a doer of the word. Amen. Amen. John Lake said this. I don't have it on the screens, guys. It's a little bit long. I wanted to read this last week, but I couldn't find it. But I'm going to read it now because I did come across it. John Lake says there are two phases to entering the will of God. The first is to surrender of our will to the will of God. Amen? We need to say, not my will, but your will be done. He said, most people's conception of doing the will of God is to become a non-entity. Hmm? You, ever, you ever be around people who's like, Lord, not me. I don't want to do anything. Just whatever you do, just take me and do it. Right? But that's not God's will. He's, he doesn't want you to be a non-entity. He doesn't want to make you a robot. You're not a computer program. Right? He says, it's not God's ideal for you to have to be pushed around like a machine or moved like a mechanism. The other, the other phase of entering the God's will is recognizing yourself as God's son and man's servant. Or if you're a woman, the language has changed. Now we have to say God's son or daughter, amen, but God's children and man's servant. I think the most wonderful exhibition of this truth is that God can give us, that God can give us is the fact that he gives us the Holy Ghost to use for God. He's describing what first happened on the day of Pentecost, right? For instance, the Lord says, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But if you don't lay your hands upon anyone, they will not be healed. 
However, if you have faith to believe that you have the Holy Spirit to be used by him and for him, your heart and your hands will be ready. Right? He says, it's a sad thing to me that God has to go out on a special mission and hunt up a soul and wrestle with him in order to get him to do something for God. See, God wants to do these things in us more than we do. He's looking for somebody. He's looking for somebody and wrestling with people and saying, please, go, lay hand, obey my word, act upon it. I'm there to back you up in this. Amen? Then he goes on. He says, there used to be a Bible school in Ohio where they waited in continuous prayer meeting for nine months for the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Nine months they've been waiting in continuous prayer. That sounds pretty holy, doesn't it? But listen to what he said. He said, I said to them, it seems to me that if you stay around for 10 years and nine months, you will miss the gifts of the Holy Ghost. But if you take off your coat and go out and use what God has given you to bless others, he'll give you more. We need to be acting on the word of God. Amen. The way to increase is to be faithful in action, in doing. How many of you guys are doers of the word? Amen. Come on, say it by faith. I'm a doer of the word. That's right. Amen. So today I want to talk to you about authority. One of the, uh, the, the fourth thing that I want to bring to you regarding the spirit of Pentecost is the idea that they understood authority. They understood that Jesus had authority and that they would also been given authority. Look at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. It says, when they went to Capernaum, they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they, that's the people who were listening, were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. He taught them as one who had authority. They could recognize authority in Jesus' ministry. So I got to thinking, what was it that they saw? What's this authority thing that they're seeing, right? So... It says they, he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Not so the scribes, whatever their teaching looked like was teaching without authority, lacking authority or opposite of authority. So just for fun, because we live in the modern times, you can go to Google and you can type in, what is the opposite of authority? <laughs> and I got a list of words. Listen to this. Opposite of authority, powerlessness, inability, impotence, incapacity ineptitude, weakness, hopelessness, and incompetence. So when the scribes would go out there, they were powerless. They, were, they didn't have the ability to demonstrate what they were teaching. They were weak. They were incapable. They were incompetent. See, they could discuss the theory, but they couldn't demonstrate it in their teaching. They couldn't demonstrate the kingdom. For them, it was just an academic exercise, right? Well, so Jesus' teaching, he comes along and he has authority. So what does it mean that Jesus had authority? He had competence. He had ability. He had power. Amen? And if you have any doubt about it, just read the next verses because Mark explains what he's talking about here. Verse 23, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with unclean spirit. And he cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. And Jesus says to him, be silent and come out of him. The unclean spirit, it, it leaves him in verse 27. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. 
He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. A new teaching with authority. So Mark defines here what he means by authority. Jesus commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. We see him in the, in the Gospels, uh, if you just read it, he's commanding nature. He's speaking to trees and the weather, and he speaks to blind eyes and tells them to open. He's, he's, he's got authority to demonstrate what he teaches. Amen? He commands, they obey. I got to tell you something. We used to have a, there used to be a, 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 a saying, you know, where, where somebody's kind of talking and bragging or whatever, and somebody goes, oh, yes, says who? Right? Anybody old enough to remember that? I don't hear anybody saying it now. I know Rick would know it. But <laughs> yeah, says who? Says who? Um, uh, and, you know, it was kind of like, you know, like really like, who are you? You know, what authority do you have? What position do you have to be saying this stuff? Can you back it up? Says who, right? You know, um, my, my, my sister's here. And so for all the little kids in the room, I want you to hear this story because when, when me and my sister, she might remember this, I don't know, but we hated to be told what to do by each other. We just did. I mean, but we always listened to our mom. I mean, our mom was like, you know, real firm. So you never disobeyed her like more than, you know, once. She'd do that one, two, and you better be on it before she says three or it's not good for you, right? So, you know, so mom would tell us something like, you know, she'd tell her, go get your brother. I'd be out in the tree house or whatever. Go get your brother. Tell him to come in to time to eat. Well, of course, she's not going to go out there and do that. She's going to say, BJ, come in, trying to like act like she's doing it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm not going to, I'm like, says who? So, so we had this thing. It was like, who said? Who said? It's, mom said, <laughs> right? Why? Because I wouldn't listen to her in her own name. But when she came out speaking for mom, I knew that if mom started counting to three, I better be in there eating supper or whatever. So we would do that. We would say, we would say, you know, who said? Well, mom said, okay, then we knew we had to listen because she wasn't, she, she was powerless to tell me anything in her own name. But when she spoke in mom's name, I listened you get it. Well, see those early believers, the early church, they, they had a God said, and they knew they had a God said, and they acted like they had a God said. They knew it. They really believed they were speaking for God. They really believed that they should get the same results that Jesus did. They were his ambassadors, his representatives, his messengers, and they had a God said. Now, I want to look at Psalm 8 with you. Psalm 8 is very interesting. See, because originally God gave authority to humans. He gave authority to humans. Now, Psalm 8 is an account of creation. But because uh, David uh, spoke it by the Spirit, you get to see a little different aspect of creation that Genesis has. Psalm 8 actually begins with this phrase, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the end of the psalm ends with this phrase, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So whatever's going to happen here in this psalm, God's going to be glorified in it. Amen? Because it says, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic. And th this was before Sandy Patty for all you old people. <laughs> but if you skip down here to verse four, right in the middle, it, it starts saying, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. 
And it goes on to describe a little more and then says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God gets glory whenever humans are in their proper place as rulers over his creation. God gets glory when you are in your proper place over his creation, exercising dominion in the earth, bringing about his will into the earth. That's your job. That's what you were created for. He wants you, his people, his, his humans to bring his wise order into his creation. And this is the authority that Jesus walked in. I want you to think about this. You know, yes, he, he, he was, while he was on the earth, he was God. In fact, he never denied that. That's why they wanted to kill him, because he called God his father, thus making himself equal with God. And he didn't hesitate or backpedal and say, that's not what I meant. No, you don't understand. No, he, he, he just doubled down on it. They wanted to kill him because he's of his claim to be God. But at the same time, Philippians 2 says that he emptied himself and made himself obedient to the point of even death on a cross. I mean, how many of you know if he hadn't done that, you would not have been able to hang him on a cross? <laughs> it just would not have been a, a possibility. So he emptied himself. And, you know, um, he constantly referred himself to as the son of man, the son of Adam. Because he was operating in this Psalm 8 authority. And if you want to, uh, I, I don't have time to go there, but if you would read Hebrews 2, if you are taking notes, write it down. You can see in Hebrews 2 that it actually uh, quotes this Psalm 8 and makes Jesus the subject of this verse, this passage. That Jesus was the one who came with this authority. And so the people recognized that authority in his life. Look at Matthew chapter 8 with me. This is, this is um, about a man who uh, uh, was a centurion in the Roman army. Chapter 8 and verse 5, it says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He's suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Only say the word. See, he expects Jesus at this point to exercise that authority by speaking a word. And he said, if you do that, I know he'll be healed. That's how Jesus exercised his authority. He said a word. Verse 9 the centurion says, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. See, to understand faith, we need to understand a little something about authority. This man understood authority. And so he had great faith. And when we understand what God shows us about authority, it increases our faith. Our faith grows. Our faith, uh, it finds something to hang on to in him. Amen? So what does it mean when this centurion says, I am a man under authority? It's really very simple. It just means that he's been given a commission. 
He's been given a charge. He has a responsibility to carry out the directives of the Roman army. That's what it means when he says he's under authority. See, one way to think about authority is this. This changed my thinking forever. Authority, you can think about authority as responsibility. Responsibility. The man had a responsibility to carry out his commission in the army. And because the Roman army knew that they needed people who could get things done, he gave him authority to do what he was responsible to do. You know, the employer who gives the employees uh, responsibility without the authority to do it, <laughs> that's usually a pretty bad place to work, isn't it? You got all this responsibility, no authority to get it done. But the good employer will know that if I'm going to give you responsibility, I have to give you the power and the means to accomplish it, right? So, so if you think of a, a responsibility and authority are tied together that way, because God is a good employer. <laughs> he doesn't give us responsibility, things that are impossible for us to do with no means or ability to get them done. So when he gives us a responsibility, he also gives us the authority. So he didn't tell you to go heal the sick and cleanse the lepers and cast out demons without giving you the authority to do it. Right? Amen? So the centurion, the centurion was under authority. He'd been given a commission. He was responsible for carrying out that mission. And listen to this. If any of the soldiers under his command ever violated his order... Remember, he says, I say to this one, come, he comes. This one, go, he goes. This one, do this, and he does it. If any one of those soldiers would ever not obey him, all the whole Roman army, who was more powerful than the centurion, was standing by ready to enforce his words. Think about that. Because he was doing the will of the his commander, his commander. He was doing the will of the Roman army. And if, as he's exercising the will of the Roman army, if he gives a command and it's not obeyed, all of Rome is standing by ready to punish that, that act of insubordination. Amen. And so this man, knowing that he's under this kind of authority, that he can speak and it can be done, he recognizes the same kind of authority in Jesus. He recognized that Jesus was here on a commission. Jesus came to reclaim this authority of Adam and to carry out the will and directives of his father. Amen? So as you go on and you can read the rest of it, Jesus was amazed. He spoke a word, says, go just as you believed it would, and the man was healed. Praise God. Because Jesus spoke a word from a distance and the man believed him. Isn't it interesting the servant wasn't even really part of the equation here? What about the servant? Somebody went to Jesus for the servant. And Jesus and this man has this conversation. And somehow in the middle of all this, the servant ends up healed. So don't tell me the servant had to have faith. <laughs> Somebody had faith for him. Amen. And it was the centurion. Amen. So he says, I too am a, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say, I say. See, saying is the primary, the primary way that Jesus exercised authority. It's the primary way that we exercise. It's how Jesus did it. It's how the centurion did it. And it's how we'll do it too. It goes all the way back to Genesis. You remember Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Genesis 1, 6, God said, let there be an expanse in the middle of the waters. 
Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together. And God said, and God said, verse 14, verse 24, and God said, and finally, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. He speaks and it happens. He speaks and it happens. I'm telling you what, this creation will still respond to his words today. Amen? Amen. Because this creation is a product of his words. And it will still respond to his creation, his speaking today. He says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and over the sea. See, he created mankind, humankind to have dominion, to rule over his creation. So authority is inherent because it's what we have been made to do. Amen. John Lake said that, in the soul of him who truly knows God and has been in touch with the Lord as his Savior and healer, his first awareness is a sense of dominion. His first awareness is a sense of dominion. Dominion over sin is the first thing the Christian soul becomes aware of. Praise God. See, he came, Jesus came to save us from sin, right? Not just save us in sin. He actually rescues us from the power of sin. So that dominion over sin is the first thing a Christian becomes aware of. And in the truly God-enlightened soul, dominion over sickness likewise. This was the mindset, the attitude of the early Pentecostals and the Pentecostal movement. And this is why they saw what they saw. This is why they had the testimonies that they had. Lake was a, he was a stubborn man. He wouldn't back down. I'm not recommending anybody has to do this today, but his commitment to God, he struggled with a, a, a digestive order for eight or nine years. <laughs> and he would not, re and Wigglesworth too, all the miracles, he struggled with some things. Uh, I think it was kidney stones for him, but you know what? He, they were determined. They were determined. But even while they were struggling, they didn't back off of this stuff. They continued to push forward into the kingdom of God. They continued to, to exercise that dominion that God placed in their hearts. And they saw a lot. Like I said the other day, you know, the, the people who uh, make a decision to witness to everybody all the time, every opportunity, they'll see a lot more people respond and come into the kingdom than somebody who doesn't witness to anybody, right? But, you know, that person who goes out and witnesses, it's not like maybe they're you know, that they have a gift or that they're super anointed or super awesome, they might only get one or 2% of people to respond to them. But just the fact that they've made the decision to stay on it, stay on it, stay on it. And that's what some of these early Pentecostals did. This is what they did in the book of Acts. And this is what I want to do in my life. I want to go after everything that God has. Amen. So Jesus spoke and his words came to pass. You know, you confess Jesus as Lord and you are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. You said, Jesus, save me. You said it and he made you a new creation, forgave you from your sins, made you right before the father. And that wild, your words are powerful or more powerful than you know. And in keeping with this example of Jesus, I'm telling you, if you and I are going to be like Jesus, we're eventually going to have to start speaking to some things. We have to speak to the trees, speak to the weather, speak to arthritis and heart disease, speak to the devil, speak to your mind, speak to your situation. He's our example. Amen. So we have a commission. We're under authority. 
Just like Jesus and the centurion, you are a man or a woman under authority. You've been given a responsibility to carry out the message of the kingdom, to carry it into the world, to proclaim the gospel, amen, and to set the captives free. Look at Mark chapter 13. I really like this because it makes it so simple, so simple. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus is telling a parable about what it's going to be like when he comes back. And the whole point of this parable is to live ready because he can come back at any moment, right? Are you ready for him to come back any moment? Amen. I love it. We, we believe that Jesus can come back at any time. Nothing needs to happen. The European Union doesn't need to come together or anything at all. Jesus can come back any moment. Amen? So Jesus is telling them to live ready, but I want to bring out a little different point. So let me read it to you. Mark 13. And uh, what, what do you got? 11? Change that to 33 through 37. I don't know how I typed that in up there. I typed it in my notes, but I printed out the right. So verse 33, it says, Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Verse 34, it's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge. That's what I want you to get right there. When he leaves, he puts his servants in charge. Okay? Have you ever, um, like, I remember when, again, I'm going to go back and tell on me and Melissa but when our parents would leave when we were a little older and they would leave to go somewhere to the Bible study or whatever, and they'd say, BJ, you're in charge, because I was the oldest. BJ, you're in charge, right? Okay, well, you know I wasn't in charge to do anything. <laughs> I was in charge to carry out their will. But boy, if I would have gone beyond their will, I would have sure she had told on me. And it would not have gone well for me. So, you know, we have a commission, but our commission is not just to do anything to carry out his will on the earth, right. right? And so he says, I'm going, I'm putting you in charge. He leaves and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know when the master of the house will come. Could be evening, midnight, or when the rooster crows. And then, uh, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. So he's saying to them, stay awake, be alert, be doing your job, right? But I want you to get this. He says, I'm putting you in charge. I've got a task for you to do, and you're in charge. I think it's in Matthew, it says, he put the servant in charge to give them their food at the proper time, right? Okay, he's put you in charge to do his will on the earth. So, so when those uh, servants went and did their task, they didn't have to figure out everything. They just had to do that task that was in front of them. They just had to take the meal and give it to the slaves, take the hay and give it to the horses, you know, sweep the floor, whatever it was. But he provided everything they needed for them to do their task while he was gone. Right? He provided everything they needed. And the task that you have, whatever it is, to preach the gospel, to minister healing, whatever God has called you to do, he has provided what you need to accomplish his will on the earth. Isn't that good? It's that simple. It's not about you. It's about him. When it's about me, it gets complicated. Because, man, I got issues. 
Rinkum, don't laugh. <laughs> that was a joke. It wasn't supposed to be taken seriously. <laughs> well, we all have thoughts and things. You know, you feel like you're not worthy or you're not good enough or you missed it or how will God use me? Well, come on, he's, it's really about him. You know, that servant could be a jerk, but those people who get their food at the proper time don't care that much. <laughs> They'll be like, wasn't he a jerk? Here, let's eat, you know? All right? I mean, it's about keeping the master's will, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Don't take it too far. He wants us to be loving. We will reflect the nature and character of God in our lives. We will because we're connected to him. But still, it's not about us. It's his mission. He's doing it. Amen? So to, to summarize and to close the, the, the series out here on the uh, spirit of Pentecost, I want to read to you our commission from Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 20. He said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, in my name, not your name, not your name, in my name. In my name, you speak for him right now. You know, if, if, if you were a policeman right now, you put on the uniform and the badge and the gun, you would feel like you do right now. You understand what I'm saying? Yet you would have the authority of the city to go out and enforce the laws of the city, feeling like you feel right now. You get where I'm going? Because right now you have been commissioned. God gave you his badge of authority. And how you feel right now, it doesn't matter how you feel. We give so much, uh, we give so much attention to feelings. Right now you are commissioned. Right now he wants you to go out and enforce his will. He wants you to speak a word. He wants you to pray for the sick. He wants you to preach the gospel. And he'll back you up. Isn't that good? So these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents in their hands. And like I say, I, my, my mindset on that is how Jesus says, I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. He's talking here about having authority over the devil, over the powers of darkness that oppose him. And if they drink any poison, it won't hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. <coughs> Now listen to verse 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. This is what I've been preaching from the beginning. This is Jesus' continuing ministry on the earth. This is Jesus working through his church, through his body. I asked the question, um, I asked it for the last two weeks. I'm gonna ask it again. When Jesus went to the right hand of the Father, did he expect his his kingdom to increase or to decrease? Did he expect his dominion to increase or to fall back? Did he expect his movement to continue to grow or just to kind of fizzle out? Did he expect his influence on the earth to increase or to fall away? 
increase, right? Always increase. Because when he stood there right before he went to heaven, he had given commands before and he said, I want you to go out and preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, proclaim the kingdom of God, but don't go beyond Jerusalem or don't go beyond the, uh, the Israel, right? Stay to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now he's saying, you're going to the world because I'm going to the father. My kingdom now is going to increase, okay? If we would just meditate on that for an hour and just think about that, you would understand that everything Jesus began to do that you read about in the gospels, he wants to continue to do today, but only more. How else could he say, it's better for you if I go, right? It's better for you if I go. He says, he who believes in me will do the same works that I do and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. Jesus at the Father is the means that God has used to increase his influence on the earth. But it takes us. Because now instead of working through one man, Jesus, he's working through his body, me and you. He wants to accomplish everything here right now today in this room that he would accomplish in a meeting that you would have had with Jesus had he been there. Isn't that good? So the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So what situations in your life do you need to start speaking to today? What are the things that you're believing for? What is the, what is the callings that God has placed on you where he wants you to be a man or a woman of action? It's time to be a believer, amen? It's time to believe on the word. It's time to act on the word. It's time to be a doer of the word, amen? And trust God to do his part, amen? I like it. Has this been a good series for you? Have you enjoyed it? Tell you what, Tom, why don't you come up? Let's just uh, kind of sing a song and have a time of prayer and just lock this in. I like what Rick told me. Is you got to give us time to lock it in, right? You got to take time to see. Rick told me at least one good thing. <laughs> but let's just take some time. I don't know. Whatever, whatever song you guys want to do, let's just sing it through one time as we just take a time of prayer. Just stay um, in an attitude of prayer and just listen to what the Lord would have you do what you, he would have you say. And think about, I should have called you all up earlier, huh? Think about, no, but think about, think about Jesus at the right hand of the Father, how that affects how I live my life today. And my prayer is, Lord, I just pray that we would receive this word, that we would not forget it, that we would allow these things to, to, to permeate our minds and our hearts, Lord, so that we can live life with a new perspective, a life with the perspective that we are connected to you, Father God, and that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and that he is working through us and he wants to express himself through me in the same way that he did through Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray.